Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 65 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Dr. Kevin Zucco back on the episode to talk with us today about one of the best books I've ever read. It is a book that showed the clear win-win between my two passions, business and environmental improvement. Creating a Lean and Green Business System, written by Kevin, is a book truly about creating a better future with many compelling case studies. Let's get into the episode. Caven, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning to you, Brad. Uh, thank you for having me back. It's a oh, real pleasure. Such a pleasure, mate. You know, I've been so passionate about that book that you wrote with your co-authors many years ago, and um, it's such a pleasure to be talking to you about it today. Caven, what, what came first for you? Was it lean or environmental improvement? Like, What kicked it off for you? Um, so here's the story. Um, I went to um, do a master's degree uh, in the UK at Warwick University. Um, and uh, my background was uh, oil and gas engineering. So uh, far from uh, green, if you like, or environmental improvement. So, But uh, of course, I always uh, uh, personally was very, very interested on a personal level um, in, in green, if you like, in the whole green movement. And uh, for my um, uh, dissertation, um, for my master's degree, I needed to pick a subject. So I was torn between strategy, um, which is a consulting I do today, and I, I have always been passionate about, um, and uh, doing something between lean and green, the cross between lean and green. So my uh, professor at the time was suggesting to cross the two. Um, so frankly, I don't even know which one came first. But I know that between strategy and lean and green, I chose lean and green. I knew that if I did strategy, probably I would be looking at a um, career in, say, strategy houses, big consultancies, and um, you know the usual career that you would take. Um, um, but after you do a business degree, but uh, well, I decided that I will do something that is closer to heart. And I have never regretted it since, I have to say. So follow your heart, I guess. Yeah. And um, that, that dissertation actually is interesting. That led to uh, a conversation with Jim Womack um, via email um, um, and via chat. And, uh, and I was interviewing him for my dissertation amongst other people. Um, what's funny, Jim Womack thought at the time that um, uh, Lean and Green aren't necessarily um, reinforcing each other. Um, although they're both about reducing waste and it's so obvious, he wasn't so sure. And he suggested I talk to his co-author, Dan Jones. <laughs> and, uh, and the rest is history because I ended up working for Dan Jones. And here I am, uh, 20 years on, and I'm still working in Lean and Green. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, it's, it's great. And that, that lecturer that you know, prompted you to look at it in that regard, that, that was an amazing step. When Absolutely. did you actually connect the two then? Like, when was it that you went, yes, there's a synergy, there's a clear win-win between, you know, driving proactivity and improvement using lean and capabilities there, as well as 
environmental? So I think uh, naivete is a bliss. When I first was uh, doing my, 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 my master's course and going on the modules and listening to the lectures uh, as, as a young engineer, and they were talking about um, um, lean and it's about reduction of waste and it sounded so obvious. Uh, well, this, this is um, year 2001. <laughs> so, uh, so basically 20 years ago. So just coming out of the 90s, which are the real early days of lean and green, of lean. And it sounded very obvious that, yes, what's so difficult then? Um, this is the same thing as saving the environment. So I guess that level of naivete <laughs> helped me to be so, uh, so au fait with the cross between the two concepts. <laughs> wow that's cool sometimes what, what, what's the saying ignorance is bliss you know it's you, ignorance is the bliss because yes. you were you were cutting new ground then like i i know you were because it was in your book creating a lean and green business system that i first went wow okay like you i was always passionate about the environment and also been business improvement yes. but you know i guess in that early noughties you were cutting new ground now you ended up doing your work and you ended up working with some pretty big organizations like Marks and Spencer's is one of them and many others. Like, when did you get to put it into practice? And what did you start seeing when you did get to put it into practice? So um, um, it was Peter Hines, in fact, who helped massively. And you've had Peter on, I know, on this podcast at least a couple of times. Yeah. And um, uh, obviously a good friend of mine today. And um, so I, I, as I went to work for Dan, Dan and Peter ran the center at Cardiff together. And um, um, Peter was a big encouragement to do something with the cross between lean and environment. In fact, my first job was just that. But in practice, there was no funding for it. And there wasn't real industry um, interest in it. it. It was lots of talk, lots of rhetoric. Um, as, as you said, that ignorance that helped me as a naive engineer to get into it, I hadn't realized that in practice, you're right, not many organizations were really doing it. Um, I have to say, I'm sorry to say that even today, not enough organizations do it. So, um, and to year 2007, I remember we got in um, ab above uh, his garage. Peter had a small office that was really, really cold in the thick of the winter. And we got in there with a few other colleagues. Um, and uh, so we had to put layers on to keep ourselves warm. <laughs> and uh, I, I hope that he listens to this and he remembers and he will also laugh like me about it because we often laugh about it at that moment. And that was a, a Kaizen event to try to pull together some sort of toolkit. Very soon, um, we had an opportunity with Mars. Mars um, being a $30 billion giant they decided that they will experiment with it. Maybe one of the very first organizations, major organizations on earth. And um, mid 2000s, then we had the opportunity to take this to uh, Mars and it started in China. Of all places, it wasn't any of the Western, Western Europe or North America, Australian sites. It was actually Shanghai. And they had a simple problem. Uh, sounded simple again, 16%, uh, 15%, 16% um, um, over in terms of um, energy and water consumption. And the, and the reason for it was that Mars had, had overseen, had um, um, forecasted a huge increase in demand, as you do in developing countries like China. So they had built uh, facilities that were a lot bigger than the production that. So 
per unit of production, obviously, they had too much consumption of utilities. Now, we had a week. So we started on a Monday morning and, uh, and with a group of brilliant engineers, a group of 21 brilliant engineers. Um, and by um, Friday afternoon, they had, I, I can't say I had done anything because it was them, they had saved in fact, 16% of their site energy and 16% of the site water. Uh, and that's what we had focused on mainly, but using lean and green techniques. Um, it, it wasn't obviously saved by then, but they were clearly, they had solved the problem for it, that they knew that within weeks, not even months, within weeks, everything was implemented. So when we followed up um, and annualized benefits were 16% for both energy and water, that was a moment uh, that we knew that this technique does work. Yeah, you get the baseline of environmental gains at the same time as major economic gains. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And you look at it now, Gabe, and where it's gone. Like you look at what Unilever's doing, Nestle's doing, yeah. governments around yeah. the world, others who are just really driving that message. It, it's, it's amazing. You must pinch yourself sometimes where you look how it's actually evolved, this continuous improvement approach to get both environmental and economic gains and and i sometimes do so so people like yourself in australia brian brian hurley in the us um and uh, there are there are the other colleagues around the world in singapore and in europe everywhere um who are actively pursuing this um but that story, if I may take it one step forward then. So that by 2010, we, um, Mars had made it mandatory for all sites around the globe to do the same exercise. So we, we had given them the IP to what we had done. So they were allowed to use it. So they, they had made it mandatory for all sites around the world to do it at least once a year with Linda Mars and those very high-powered people behind it because they cared about the environment. And in fast-moving consumer goods, you certainly had a movement like Nike, because Nike had learned the lessons by then, if you remember. And um, like, like, as you said, like Unilever, Paul Polman, a great leader, as we all know, um, like um, Kimberly Clark, a lot of them, a lot of them in FMCG, they were doing that. A lot of the retailers like Walmart, Walmart has certainly been trying a lot and achieving a lot. Tesco's mm. at the time, I know that, um, you know, Tesco's might have gotten into some economic problems in 2010s, but at the time they were very much uh, into the Lean and Green movement. Now, Marks and Spencer, of course, was globally one of the leading brands yeah. uh, in, in that domain. And they had the famous plan A program. So, because there is no plan B for the planet. And uh, so um, Peter and I got involved a bit and literally what it was, literally what it was, it was a phone call that said, um, come and do the stuff, <laughs> um, um, what to do. And again, maybe people who were in plan A, a bit like a young um engineer I was 10 years earlier, were a bit naive about it, thinking that if they did lean, of course, they will save the environment as well. So yeah. they put um, a tiny seed funding, um, a very small amount of money into taking this to the whole supply chain. But we knew at that point that the techniques work for a factory, for one 
um, production unit, if you like. We, we tried it several times and every single time between 10 to 30% of the utilities were saved, which as you say, made economic sense more than enough way more than enough to pay for, for the upfront investment of their engineering time and so on and so forth. But what we didn't know is that what about the end-to-end system? So if you go to the extended value stream, what happens then? And of course, Marks and Spencer, they don't make anything like any other retailer pretty much. They, um, they buy cheaply, if you like, and stack high and they make a bit of profit on that. Um, that's the retailing business model. And there wasn't anything different about the business model. So they just knew that they have to execute better in the supply chain. So we went to look at the end-to-end supply chain. Luckily, as it happened, that, that happened to be my own doctorate thesis because I, I had done a part-time doctorate being interested to take this. So uh, we had a little bit of experience. We had, in fact, mapped by then 33 end-to-end FMCG chains at uh, wow. Lean Enterprise Center in Cardiff University. So we had a strong toolkit for the lean going into the extended value stream. And obviously, being interested in the green side, I tried to connect it and turn that into my doctor thesis. So it was um, it was a uh, heaven-sent gift, if you like, suddenly to put all of that into practice. Yeah. And uh, I remember Peter and I were asking them, so what are your targets? Plan A people. Um, and these are very visionary people who worked there at the time. And they said, what do you mean? Just do your stuff. Uh, do we have to give you a target? Just do it. So they believed in it so much that it wasn't so much target-driven. They were not saying, save 5,000 tons of CO2. They were not saying, save X tons of food waste. So we did. So we got involved with uh, the end-to-end supply chain. And the very first uh, chain that we mapped, it was a ready meal supply chain. So 50% of the food waste that existed in that very category was removed. Wow. <laughs> um, a thousand tons of food waste, that was. And there is a lot of food waste in food supply chains. We all know that. 15,000 tons of CO2. And just to put it into context, the annual target for all of Plan A, one of the leading programs on the planet, was only 60,000 for that year. So a quarter of it, yes, a quarter of it was saved. Um, Costs were lowered by about 8%. Sales was uplifted by about 4%. Productivity increased by about 7%. And inventory was reduced by 25% by a quarter. (laughs) <laughs> so That's massive. So so you yeah. So you, you suddenly, I think that was a moment of truth for all of us. Some very senior retailers, <laughs> on the economic side. I remember presenting again, a fairly young consultant engineer, and um, they had to they had to ask me a few questions before I think they believed it, and then they realized no, this is actually working. <laughs> so naturally. And Marks and Spencer turned it into a program, a very comprehensive program. So um, thousands of suppliers on the food side, not on the general merchandise, on the food side, thousands of suppliers went through a comprehensive program of Lean and Green. They introduced the scorecard that systematically introduced ethical, not just environmental, ethical, environmental, and economic. And economic was basically, uh, they took our Lean framework. 
um, uh, SAP Partners Lean Framework was the economic framework for MNS. It still is, by the way. And they published it, I think, something like three or four months ago. They in, so this, this is why I can openly talk about it. They published everything. They made it open source. It's all there. Anybody, and I encourage anybody who is in FMCG, go and have a look what they've done. They have had some very tough time except if it wasn't for the benefits they got out of this business framework that is ethical, environmental, and economic, and how they are so aligned. When you read it, economic and environmental and ethical, all the same thing. And they've been one of the leading retailers ethically and environmentally on the planet, as we all know. It's but so, they managed to combine it with economic framework. Yeah. yeah. It's so good, too, that their journey is continuing, and it's so good that it's helped them through this tough time. Like, it's amazing. I saw that come out actually um, only a few months ago also, that uh, report they put out. It's great that they're sharing it because it's it certainly, certainly been successful. Kevin, that's, a, that's amazing that one, the analysis of one value stream in a ready-made food line can get that sort of economic and environmental gain. It's massive. Kevin, it, with- it's been way beyond anything we imagined. Yeah. And we all know that I think we're – the concern for providing a planet for our future generation that's at least as good as we see now is high yeah. on most people's list, like it's right up there. Kevin, what, what would you recommend as the key steps for an organisation to consider if they're going to go down a lean and green path? Like number one I hear is you've got to think the extended value stream. You've got to think outside your walls in a broader perspective to get some big gains. But what are those steps that you'd recommend them to consider? Brad, you know, that is a fantastic question. Um, I think it all boils down to people and culture. Um, So um, um, if you think about it, in all our organizations, all major organizations on the planet, we have an environmental team. We have the EHS, the Environmental Health and Safety, or you might call it the Sustainability Team. All companies on Earth, there is that function. In parallel... We have the um, a continuous improvement, you may call it enterprise excellence, lean, Six Sigma. So the, in parallel, there's another team of people who are working on improving the economics of the firm and transformation team and so on and so forth. Um, very, very few still um, combine the two efforts together. It's like having two improvement teams. <laughs> and um, um, clearly, clearly, um, when you combine the two, um, something clicks. I think part of it is because people culturally get it. So people who are working in organizations, everybody cares about the children's future. Um, it's, it's important to have an economically healthy organization. But going back to what Simon Sinek said, it's the why. You give them the why mm. and you, you make it real. It is not just the glossy corporate report about sustainability. It's about improving the economics of the firm. And it's not just about saving money for the shareholders. It's about saving the future of the planet. When you bring these two together, then it's so powerful. And I think if I had one thing to say is that try to make it a cultural thing. Connect with the people. It's all about people. What a great episode. We'll be taking a break from Christmas Day until the 10th of January 2022. We hope that you and your family and friends have a wonderful Christmas and we welcome you back in the new year. 
there are some absolutely cracking episodes that you can go back and listen to on the break. Feel free to email me your favorite and we can have a chat about the best ones of the season. Remember that you can go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of many resources that we and our guests have provided. It is becoming a useful library of tools and resources to help companies on an enterprise excellence journey. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. There's so many companies looking to create a purpose statement, trying to create their why, trying to generate that. And some of them fall flat. You know, they, they do and it doesn't connect. But I think with the what I'm seeing out there and especially in Australia, I can talk mainly from Australia. It's the number one, number two in most organizations. So connecting it into your purpose, it's a, it's a powerful thing. I don't think there's many generation of new workers coming through that aren't highly concerned and passionate about that either. So it's certainly a way to fuel positive energy rapidly, isn't it, what you're saying? Absolutely. So uh, the millennials, um, it's not good enough just to give them a salary anymore. They need to have that purpose. They need to know the why. Um, I think Generation X and Generation Y need to learn quickly, very, very, very quickly that this is how it works. Um, you just can't ignore it anymore, as you just said. Yeah. yeah. So, I love uh, sorry, go ahead. Look, Kevin, I love how you mentioned that it brings that strong cultural piece into play and that big why element. But you mentioned something else too, like I'm, I'm guessing or I'm assuming from what you're saying that bringing that resource of the economic people the business improvement people, the quality people, even the safety people together and creating a unified energy in the company. That's got to be powerful when you combine knowledge and capability and bring the elements of lean into the elements of environment, the elements of environment into quality. Because ultimately it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, it's, we need to create continuous improvement to create a better future. Absolutely. So you see, as you're saying, Interestingly, it's ultimately all the same thing. I think I love your sentence, how you summarize that ultimately they're all the same thing. And the point is, it's not one leads to the other. In fact, they're all the same thing, joint at the hip, if you like. It's, it's a yin and yang harmony we're talking about. So um, you probably know, you, you do know this, that um, it's, it's in the book as well. When, when Dan Jones and Jim Womack did their famous machine that changed the world study, they found something incredible. They found that improving quality uh, rather counterintuitively gives you better economics. So up until that moment, the assumption was that if you want better quality, it spends money on it and a company spends money on it and it costs you a lot more money and therefore it's costly. Actually, Toyota comes along and proves that uh, not only is uh, no extra cost, in fact, it's cheaper. So good quality. Um, famously, Phil Crosby said quality is free. Uh, in fact, it's more than that. Quality is cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Toyota proved the point. So they did the benchmark study. What we tried to do, uh, Hunter, Peter, and I in that book tried to do was to try to test the same hypothesis. Is environment... Also, so let's say green, because if you say environment is free, it might have the wrong connotation. Is going green is also free. And it turns out not only is free, but it's actually cheaper. So we repeated the very same exercise in the automotive sector using the same benchmark. We still know that Toyota is at the the top of the quality league, Toyota and Lexus, of course. And um, we, tried, we repeated the same exercise in the year 2012-13 when we were doing the research for the book. And it turns out that the, the greener they are, 
the more economic they are. The more economic they are, as in better quality and cheaper production, the greener they are. And Toyota was top of the league. Yeah. So, so the, the same benchmark, it's why? Because they're all the same thing. In fact, as part of the research for the book, I had to talk to Toyota and um, the, 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 in Japan and, and um, senior directors who helped massively, I have to say. It's incredible how generous they are when, you, when they find that actually you're doing this for good research reasons. It's incredible how generous they are. So a senior director I was talking to said, well, obviously you, you don't use the word lean in Toyota and said, no. So um, what I didn't know is that actually in Japanese, there is a word for lean that they use. It's monozukuri. So I was interested. I asked, uh, I asked the gentleman, so what is the meaning of monozukuri? And he said, um, it's about harmony. It's manufacturing uh, in harmony. And I, and I asked naively again, um, harmony in what? Between what and what? What harmony? And and I realized after a few questions, because I don't think you understood my question, that it's probably lost in translation a little bit. Actually, it's not about being in harmony with anything. It's about the concept of harmony itself. It's about everything. This yin and yang. They're all the same thing. So quality and environment are the same thing environment and quality and economics are the same thing. It's just doing the right thing. So, so this concept of monozukuri, which is the only or the nearest word for lean in Japanese, if you like. Now, by the way, this uh, senior director told me that monozukuri is hitozukuri. And hitozukuri means uh, creating people, making people. So monozukuri, the literal translation is making, making things or making artifacts, if you like. And, uh, but hitozukuri, the literal translation is making people. In other words, he was trying to explain that uh, the manufacturing of artifacts is a consequence of creating the right people. And that's why, Toyota, if you read the precepts, they totally have this purpose at heart. It's all about creating a sustainable transportation uh, solution for people. So they don't care about giving you a car. They care about giving you a transportation solution. And that's what they are. And companies that are like Unilever, companies that manage to create that why for the people, they are very successful in hitozukuri, in creating good people, creating future generation senseis. And of course, those people get the concept of yin and yang and harmony, and they create environment, e economy, and um, an ethical in, in parallel, if you like. I hope any of that, some of that made some sense. No, no, I love how you've combined it, Kevin, <laughs> because what you're saying is that monozukuri, all about producing in harmony with people on the planet. Hitokazuri is about developing the people so that they can do that. You, you're covering that cultural exactly. piece, but then also, exactly. I guess it's that results, that purpose, that why, that cultural piece, but yep. then also yeah. that systematic piece, which is the win-win is there. That symbiotic relationship is there between it all. I, I was fortunate to be able to work with a company from Century Uasa, and mm -hmm. their main one of their main strategic points was Monozukuri, and I knew about it thanks to you. <laughs> so thank you. Fantastic! Oh wow, I didn't know that story, Brad. That is incredible. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was amazing, and it, it's just it's starting to get out there, you know. And I think, you know, I, I, I the word has so much beauty, doesn't it? In one word, yes. there's so much beauty in it. I, I wish there we is. could have more of that in, in our language.
Absolutely. And this is the beauty of Japanese as a language, as a culture, because it, it has the ability to capture munuzukuri, hitozukuri, and the connection between these. Yes, um, wonderful. In, in, in fact, there is, a, there is an interview uh, with Mr. Ch- um, Fujio Cho, the previous president, uh, the, the, the previous uh, president of Toyota, who says monozukuri is hitozukuri. I found that later, actually. So they, they openly talk about it. That's nice. And it's in, their, it's in their literature, yes. Gavin, with, with an organization that's going, okay, wow, this could be interesting. I, I can engage my people culturally to get economic and environmental outcomes, build a cultural continuous improvement to help the planet and help ourselves and help customers and get that free outcome on environmental that actually saves you money, get that free outcome on quality that actually makes you, you know, become more competitive. It, yes. It's amazing. Where would you recommend they start? Like what, what, would, you, what would your advice be? <clears throat> so sometimes... So maybe there are two ways to interpret your question, if I may clarify that. One, one way to, uh, when I hear your question, one way to think about it is where do I start? Do I start at the top? Is that what you mean? Is it from the top or anywhere you can start? Both. Uh, um, Gavin, uh, whatever. Would uh, you, yeah, that'd be great. Level of the organization, uh, where do you need to start? But also then, what would you say people need to focus on first? What's some key elements exactly. they should do? Yeah. Okay. So, and that's probably the second way to interpret. So if I may start with the first one, um, well, it doesn't matter <laughs> whether you start at the top or the middle or at the wherever you are. And that's, that's the thing. The person at the top will need to believe in it and believe in themselves more importantly to, to, to understand that actually p- humans are capable of doing remarkable things. And uh, by the same token, anyone else at any other level within the organization will need to have the same belief. And it's, it's that moment that you know that you can believe in yourself and achieve a lot. And people will absolutely come and follow you because, you know, like any other change, you just need to role model it. Talk less about it and do more. <laughs> like any other cultural change that we know about, right? So just anywhere within the organization is, is, uh, is my honest answer. And we have seen this. It's not always Paul Pullman at the helm of Unilever who creates change. We have worked time and again with people who are on the shop floor. So a very small food company, we worked with them. And the person who was the instigator of all of this Wonos Rikuri journey and lots of lean and green work happening was a shift leader um, on the floor. And this gentleman was doing remarkable, and obviously, obviously he had the respect of the very senior people. They didn't necessarily know exactly what he's doing, but they trusted him because he, his heart was in the right place. So my honest answer is anywhere. It doesn't matter. Now, but the second way to think about it, where do I start? Um, as in, what's the first step? And I think the same thing. Start by believing in yourself. <laughs> Going back to that positive psychology, because it's about creating a happier um, work environment for yourself. It's about because you believe it. The reason Simon Sinek's uh, why works is that it gives people purpose and it gives people uh, a reason to uh, get out of bed and go to work in the morning or in the evening or whenever you go to work, (laughs) right? So start with yourself and create a purpose for yourself in something that you believe in. And purpose is never money. 
if your purpose is just more money to buy the next um, jet ski or the next big car or or to just pay the mortgage whatever it's uh, that's a consequence that's the trick you probably need to rethink it that's a con money will always come what's your reason <laughs> that yeah. makes you personally connect with the concept um you you read you read the book um, story of um, one of the most beautiful stories we came across was Karen Hester uh, in Adams. Karen started from being the cleaning lady, <laughs> right? So how many organizations you see where the chief operating officer, COO, used to be the cleaning lady, and that's Karen's wow. story. So we've had Karen on various um, webinars. Karen and I have given talks together. One of the most inspiring chief operating officers I've ever worked with, right? So, but Karen has got it. She's got that why at purpose and she believes in it personally. Wow. And from there, that motivation will, will drive it through. Gavin, what absolutely for listeners on this topic, would that be your two-minute tip? Is there anything else that you'd say that with Lean and Green, you'd, you'd give a tip to the audience and listeners on this topic? <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I think now I have to think about it, but as you, you've already given me a very important hint on it, I think make it a, a reason for yourself. Give yourself, a, do yourself a favor. Um, it's about believing in it personally and having a purpose and makes your own personal life a bit more purposeful. Um, um, and um, it's, it's something that you care about. And rest assured, others will also care about it. Others will see right through your passion and will believe in it and will join the journey with you. And of course, at the beginning, we will have a few small setbacks and ups and downs, such as life. But ultimately, look at all these other people who've managed to, uh, to accomplish great feats. Yeah, that's not even two minutes. That's probably 10 yeah. seconds, you feel like. Yeah, no. it starts with us, each one yeah. of us personally. I can see that. <laughs> the bigger purpose and the bigger drive to something like Lean and Green will help you through some of the tougher times, I'm sure. You know, having that Absolutely. bigger cause in that regard, especially when we all look at our kids or our nephews or our nieces or our grandkids, you know, that there's not much more inspiring and motivating to do it than that is there in that regard. Gavin, what's, what's been a recent insight that you've had like you've helped us all throughout your writings and the time on our podcast and everything else you do with insights and knowledge but what's been a recent insight that you've gained yourself that you didn't know before oh that's a tough one because there is uh, so loads of new things i didn't know before every day i have to say <laughs> brad that's a tough one but i think um more recently um um, more recently, I'm specifically trying to think about um, um, Lean and Green. And more recently, and actually it's recent, but it's, it's also old. We, we see that organizations go, go from trade-off thinking um, between Lean and Green. So um, like Jim Womack was saying back in the day, that organizations have this mindset. And so long as you think there's a trade-off, um, so you think that if you become economically more prosperous, you are damaging the environment. Guess what? If you think like that, that becomes true. <laughs> so, but organizations go from that trade of thinking towards more synergistic thinking that actually, you know what? I can create synergies, find synergies between these two. The obvious one is if I reduce economic waste, very likely I'll reduce uh, environmental waste. Um, but 
more and more, going back to the symbiosis that you named, more and more organizations are finding the symbiotic relationship between the two. The fact that, as you said, Brad, the two are really the same thing. So I don't need to really think about the two separate things. And I think this is more recently um, becoming more and more obvious that organized, maybe this is generation uh, X and Y retiring and millennials um, taking over. Organizations are seeing this. And very importantly, I think, is the finance sector. Finance sector is also um, bankers run the world, essentially. Finance sector is also um, coming to that realization. You think about it, rating agencies globally have a huge influence, uh, S&P and Moody's of the world. And uh, both of them, uh, and Fitch, they have ESG ratings today. So it's assets are being rated on ESG scale as well as economic scale, um, issuers and issuances. And that finance um, um, uh, sector seeing the symbiotic relationship between the two, um, that is incredible because then we have proof. Uh, and where, where money goes, hopefully the world goes. The only slight issue is that the pace is not fast enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We need to, we need to up that pace, but it's, Really, in essence, there's nothing that should stop us upping that pace because you've, you've proven it time and time again with companies and more companies are proving it time and time again that there is that symbiotic relationship. I can do good for the planet, good for society, good for quality, good for safety yeah. and get major outcomes economically. It's all connected yeah. at the hip. And Absolutely. also to like, came from what you mentioned, things like engaging people, motivating people, strategic alignment, getting understanding process and getting process precise and mapping process and all the techniques we know, yeah, they're the same across the board too, aren't they? It's not like this. 100%. They're all the same. You don't even need to invent a new toolkit. for. It's all the same. Yeah. And the tools are all there. It's interesting. I love the conversation that we've had talking about the motivational factor, but also that insight that your environmental, your business improvement, your quality, and even, your, I guess, your safety teams, they're all on the same gig. The more we can bring them together and create a unified improvement approach to help us create a better world for our customers, our company, our planet, our people, boy, there's some gains there to get also. And, and the regulators are also trying to achieve the same, governments and regulators. So, um, the, but, but I, mean, I often get asked, what about God? So recently I was talking at a Norwegian um, uh, regional agency development agency conference. And um, I think some, the, the minister from the government was giving another talk. And I, I had to say, and obviously the minister was there. I said, I said, look, you're very lucky in Nordic countries. You have very good governance, um, but it's not exactly the same. We have slightly dysfunctional governance today in, in other parts of the world, I have to say. And it's apparent, you know, it's, I'm not trying to make a political statement. Um, it's just, you know, it's just uh, evident from what we see. But we don't have to wait for them. We no. just, it is absolutely, this is the point. We certainly do not need to go and lobby the government or wait for the, just do it. Yeah, <laughs> just I know. enjoy doing it. I think that's yeah. the point. And Kevin, you think of the governments too, like, well, they are driven by voters. Yes. And voters work for organizations. Yes, exactly. So yeah. for every organization that starts <laughs> to shift its culture in this direction, get the outcomes for their customers themselves on the planet. 
at the same time influence culture of every employee. It's a chain yes. reaction. Absolutely. And guess what? UK government went to look at Marks and Spencer, what they're doing. Of course, when, when organizations lead it, governments follow. I guess the point is excellent, Brad. We shouldn't necessarily wait for the government to lead us. We can lead. It's like in an organization, as we just discussed, anywhere you are within the organizations, do it for your own sake, because you will enjoy your job a lot more and you will achieve a lot more, not because you're doing anyone a favor. It's for Kayvon that Kayvon is doing this, if you like. And it's the same. If you're an organization within the biggest system called the country, start doing it. You will enjoy lots of prosperity and of course the governments will gradually move as a result of that yeah yeah do it celebrate it show someone else get them fired up and it'll all it'll all keep snowballing indeed but i i know there's so much more our listeners will want to learn and gain and 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 i know that you and colleagues around you can help so much on holistically if people need further help how can people reach out to you Kevin, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So I'll be very happy. I'm available via social media, um, Twitter, and uh, and of course LinkedIn. Um, and um, my email address we can we can share that. Oh, it's would love to help anybody, any organization anywhere in the world who's going on a lean and green journey. By the way. Um, um, just to mention that um, all of this is charitable. So all of my to- talks at conferences, all the book income and all the university um, research or lecture income that I might have, they all go to charities. It's the same for Peter Hines and Hunter Lovins, by the way, um, for my co-authors. So um, we we would be only glad to help any organization, any um, agency who's going on this journey um, it's it's is really fulfilled and enriched our lives, and we're grateful for people's time. <laughs> yeah. Eternally grateful. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you, mate. You've really helped myself through my career, and a lot of my passion comes from the work that you and Peter have done, and the books that you've written that I've read. And thank you for everything you'll do going forward. I know you're not no. letting up, and that you're driven by your passion. And thank you. But but no, thank you, Brad. You've started this fantastic podcast. Um, much needed. And now gone global, gone viral. And I'm really pleased to see it prospering like this. Thank you, big times. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it. And I'll chat to you in the next episode when we, I'm sure there's going to be another topic that we've got to cover upcoming. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> All the very best. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a systems boundary map template you can use to understand your organization's current state environmentally. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. The win-win between economic, ethical, and environmental gains. For so long, perceptions have been that you can have environmental and social gains, but there's going to be an economic cost. Companies adopting a lean and green continuous improvement approach are proving there is a clear win-win outcome to be achieved between all these factors. My second key takeaway is the alignment between achieving environmental, safety, quality and economic gains within an organisation. They are all achieved in the same way, a very similar approach. There is a massive potential if the people in these roles within organisations can align, unify their effort and help their organisations achieve a culture of continuous improvement for themselves, others and the planet. 
Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Caven. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.